And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Well, this is the Sunday that we have at least once a month in which the service, this time of worship, is telecast live to literally millions of homes throughout the Arab world through Kingdom Sat. We have a brother sitting in the studio, and every song and prayer and sermon is translated into Arabic just as we uh, are live, literally, not only on the satellites of 190 million homes, but also on Facebook in the Kingdom Set Facebook page. So I want you to join with me as I ask you at least once a month to welcome all the viewers from Kingdom Set around the world. It's a great privilege. We don't take it for granted. Back in 2003, when the United States invaded Iraq, one of the government officials said that we are going to drain the swamp of terrorism in the Middle East. Well, we know what happened. But in the past several decades, the missionary arm of this church leading the way has been embarking on a much more effective mission, on a far-reaching mission. And our mission is to free men and women from the brutal dictatorship, not of a man, but of Satan. Uh, to free men and women from the enslavement, not of a system, but of sin. Uh, our mission is not just to give people earthly security, but eternal security of being with Jesus for all of eternity in heaven. Our longing is to give people liberty, not to just for a few years, but forever. We desire for people to discover the truth about themselves, that they are sinners without Jesus Christ, and that they can have eternity with Him in heaven. We endeavor to set the captives free and for the blind to see and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. That's, who, that's what we're about. Listen to me. Having lived under the tyranny of socialist dictatorship the first 19 years of my life, I am daily grateful to be living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. You have to understand that. I'm aware of the fact that you born here, you do not understand the difference. You cannot comprehend the difference. That's very understandable. I am very grateful every single day. But I am far more immensely more grateful for the one who set me free from the tyranny of Satan's deception. Um, who set me free from the oppression and the dominance of sin, who forgave me all of my sins and gave me the assurance of eternal life with Him in heaven. I, you, you have to understand, you have to understand my heart. I think most of you do, but those of you who don't know me, you understand that to receive political freedom is absolutely wonderful. 
but to be given eternal freedom from sin, Satan, and Satan is immeasurable. To help liberate someone from earthly oppression is absolutely great. But to help someone to be liberated from the eternal judgment that is coming upon the world and maybe sooner than we think is incalculable. And that's what our vision and mission is all about. And that is why this particular passage is very relevant to every single person who's right here or even watching around the world. Turn with me to that most unlikely story to be found in the Bible, and yet you'll discover some amazing truth from that story, that historic event that took place those many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Second Kings 6.24, all the way to chapter 7. What I want to do is summarize the incident. I want to, so whether you're 10 years old or 100 years old, you don't have to kind of wonder, you know, what does this mean or what does that mean? I want to give it to you in a narrative. I want to give it to you as a story so you understand it, you can comprehend it, and then you see how the hand of God working supernaturally. Simply put, Israel had a fence around the city of Samaria. The Syrian army was surrounding that fence, and so people could not go in or out. They cannot go to the farms and farm their land or bring food or go in and out. They were totally surrendered. The king of Syria wanted to kill all the Israelites by starvation. That was the purpose of surrendering it, surrounding it, I mean. Life became not just unbearable. In fact, death has become far more better option than life. But through God's man, Elisha, God announced good news to the people of Israel. What is that good news? He said, the day is coming of their liberation. That day is near. The day of their salvation is near. The day of their freedom is near. But as often the case, the skeptics and the cynics, they made fun of the Word of God. They made fun of the prophet of God. They made fun of Elisha's prophecy. It's always, it's always the case. You see it all over the place today. The hard-hearted and the arrogant always, always mock the good news. Always mock the good news. So the general of Israel's army, this is not the Arameans, the Syrians, no, no. This is the general of Israel's army, the big shot. He made fun of the good news when he heard that announcement. The verse 2 of chapter 7, is God going to open the windows of heaven and send food? It's always the case. The whole reason for this series that I'm doing at this particular time is, 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 is called It is Supernatural is because I want to encourage the elect of God, the faithful believers, the remnant. <laughs> I want to encourage you to lift up your heads and look up. I want to encourage you to live expectantly of God's intervention. 
I want you to live in thanksgiving for God's empowerments over our circumstances, to live confidently, even in the midst of the world's mockery. Is God going to open windows from heaven and pour out food? How arrogant. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 3, God said, yes, He actually does open the windows of heaven. A few weeks ago, I shared that Wednesday night prayer meeting. (laughs) God promised to literally open the windows of heaven and pour His blessings upon the faithful believers. To that mockery and insult, Elisha said to the great general, yes, he actually, in a manner of speech, (laughs) he will open the windows of heaven and we're going to see food falling down, (laughs) but you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to participate in it. When God promised good news was fulfilled, listen carefully, you're going to see it there. We, we didn't go all the way far enough in the passage, but when God's promised good news was fulfilled, his, that army general, Israel's army general, saw it with his eyes, but as the people were running out, they tramp, he was trampled underfoot. And he saw it, never participated in it, because he was dead as a doornail. Beloved, listen to me. On the day of judgment... All of those who have rejected the good news of the gospel, those who have mocked the believers, those who have persecuted God's faithful people, all of those who have ignored God's generous invitation to accept the good news of forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Him will be judged. Not one person will be able to escape in the whole world. Question. How did God save Israel physically? How did He save them? Well, here's a Yusuf explanation. God in heaven clicked His fingers. Have you ever heard God clicking His fingers? I sure have. And I've seen miraculous things. You just to be looking for them. You have to live with the expectations. God clicked His fingers. And what happened? Terror and fear came upon the hearts of the Syrian army who were surrounding Israel. And man, they ran like jackrabbits. They ran away and they left all of their tents behind. They've been there camping for a long time. They're starving people to death. So they were there with the supplies with everything else and all these things. So they ran and they left behind all the stuff. Now, our brother in the studio translating, I don't know what stuff. Can you translate that in Arabic? (laughs) They left all the stuff behind them. All of their threats to kill the Israelites by starvation mounted to nothing. As a matter of fact, it mounted to more than nothing. Because it is supernatural. It's what? Don't ever forget that our God is the God who answers prayer of His faithful children. But there was even a bigger problem at that moment in this incident, right at this, after the Aram, when you hear Aram or Aram, Syria, it's the same 
place. They fled. Oh, but the people of Israel inside the walls of the city, they did not know about it. They did not know about it. They still think they are besieged and the city is surrounded. They had no idea that they already ran back to Damascus like jackrabbits. They were inside a prison in a figure of speech. They were cowering in fear and terror mentally and literally, even though the enemy had already ran away, leaving everything behind. The Israelites were living in misery and in oppression, and in reality, the enemy's power has been broken. The Israelites were living in a sieged mentality, while in reality, there is not a single enemy soldier on the other side of that fence. Oh, but they did not know it. They did not know it. They did not know it. Beloved, listen to me. This is exactly what's happening today with so many people. They're living in fear. They're living in terror. They're living in anxiety. They're living in worry. I heard Anne Graham last, last Thursday talking about the, the percentage of those who are committing suicide. It makes you weep. While in reality, the enemy's teeth has been knocked out on the cross of Jesus Christ. When Christ was lifted on that cross, the siege of Satan's power has been lifted. And yet millions of people today don't know it. 2,000 years ago, God rendered sin and death to be powerless over the believer. And yet billions of people don't know this good news 2,000 years ago on the cross, God offered a way of escape from the judgment that is coming upon the world, and yet billions of people are yet to know the good news that Jesus saves. Back to Israel's siege. The siege was over. It was over. But the good news had not reached them yet. How in the world would God communicate to His people this good news? I'm glad you asked, because I can't wait to tell you. <laughs> I really am anxious to tell you. <laughs> in 2 Kings 7, verse 3, it tells us there were four lepers. I, I, did you hear that? Lepers. Four lepers. On the outside of the city camp, the outside of the city wall. Why? Because lepers were not allowed to live inside the city walls. They had to be isolated on the outside of the city walls, outside of the community. Of all people, of all people, God chooses four lepers to communicate the good news. Can you see God's sense of humor? Well, if you don't, you just don't have sense of humor yourself. I do. There are many times I've been reading the Bible and I'll laugh. I say, Lord, it's amazing. You're amazing. God used the most unlikely people to help save the nation of Israel. Now you have to understand, back then, the lepers were excluded from the rest of the community. 
Lepers were repugnant to a Jew. Uh, lepers lived lives that are really like living death. Why? Because back then, they associated leprosy with sin. That's why. And that is why, listen to me, only Jesus, only Jesus, the sinless Son of God, could touch a leper. Not just come close to him, but touch him. Nobody else could. The sin bearer can touch lepers and heals them. Only Jesus, the Redeemer, the sin bearer, can make the phallus clean. Make no mistake about it, as far as God was concerned, you and I were born as spiritual lepers. You and I were living spiritual lepers. You and I were isolated from God. You and I were at enmity with God. Oh, I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. And if you are half alive, you shout too. <laughs> because one day, glory to God, one day, Jesus touched me, and He touched you. One day, Jesus, my sin bearer, reached down and healed me, and healed my spiritual leprosy. One day, Jesus, my sin bearer, touched me, and He set me free from sin and death. One day, Jesus, the sin bearer, touched me and told me that He loved me. One day, the sin bearer touched me and told me that I'm no longer a slave to sin. One day, Jesus, the sin bearer, touched me and told me, today you are my son. And I know He did this to all of you. One day, Jesus, the sin bearer, touched me, and He bound my broken heart. One day, Jesus, the sin bearer, touched me, and He told me that His Father, from now on, looks at me through the prism of Jesus, and therefore He sees me as if I have never sinned. You want to give glory to God? Oh, but millions of people still don't know. They still don't know. And this is where you, 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 you and I come in. Just as somebody told you the good news of the gospel, you need to tell everybody the news of the gospel. Back to the scene outside of the city wall, four lepers. They were between the rock and the hard place. Here's a Yusuf explanation. They said to themselves, you flip a coin, heads you lose, tails you lose. <laughs> that's basically, that's, I know I'm putting it in the vernacular, but that's really what, it, what, what they were saying to each other. If we stay isolated, we're going to be starved to death. If we go inside the city, they'll kill us. We got the, the Syrians, they might kill us, but who knows? They might have mercy on us. Let's go there. So they go out to the Syrian camps. Remember, I told you they ran like what? Got it right. Now you're listening. We got nothing to lose. 
We've got nothing to lose. Let's go to the Syrians. And so these four lepers, they were kicked out of the city, residing in the lepers' community. Venture out. And they went out. I can only imagine they would be tippy-toeing, tippy-toeing. I mean, look, they, 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 expected, they didn't expect the Syrians to be run away. I mean, they were tippy-toeing, and they were going in from tent to tent to tent to tent to tent, and they go to the first tent, they pull the flap. No Syrians. Woo! All they could find is kebabs, <laughs> tabbouleh, falafel, and pita bread. I'm doing this in honor of our listeners overseas. <laughs> Man, if you're starving to death, what do you do? You stuff your face, right? They just ate and ate. And they said, let's go. Maybe this is just a trick. They may be, they're just, it's a trap. So they got to the second tent, pulled the flap. Wow, hard currencies. <laughs> it's hard to come by particularly at that time. Hard currencies. Well, this might be a trick too. Let's go to the third one. They go in the third tent. They open the flap, and there were stocks and bonds on the Damascus Stock Exchange. <laughs> it was piled up high. My goodness gracious, they have to go there to cash it though. <laughs> so they go to the fourth tent. To their surprise, no Syrians. All they see, gold and silver. Listen, Help people buying gold and silver for security. God bless them. But listen, this was gold is like dust. Gold and silver. And more kebabs. <laughs> so they stuffed their face again until they got bloated. They were so full they couldn't walk. They started taking a nap. I mean, they were just, and they were probably popping in some Syrian Malax and, and, and Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> trying to digest this heavy food. But they couldn't sleep. They couldn't sleep. Something was bothering them. Something is wrong with this picture. Something is convicting them. Someone is convicting them. Beloved, listen to me. Uh, if I communicate the burden of my heart, I would have succeeded today. This is a picture of the 21st century Christians and many of whom are sitting right here. We are choking over thousands of book, Christian books, and I know I've written most of them. <laughs> but people said to me, I said, well, we can't even read the first one. How can you come up with the second one? But listen, we are bloated with seminars and conferences and camps, and we are gorging ourselves on Christian radio and television, and I'm on all of them. Uh, we are spiritually bulging with millions out there who have never heard the good news of the gospel that Jesus saves. These four lepers looked at each other, and they said, we, 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 what we're doing is wrong. <laughs> we're not doing right. We are feeding our faces while the rest of the people are in a state of starvation. 
we are gorging ourselves, and others have never heard the good news. We are so blessed with abundance, and millions do not have a near neighbor to tell them that Jesus saves. Look at verse 9, 2 Kings 7, 9. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. We cannot keep it to ourselves. Beloved, listen to me. One day, one day, each one of us are going to be held accountable for hoarding the good news. I want to tell you that I, for one, want to say to the Master on that day, the day of accountability, this is different from the day of judgment. This is the day of accountability where the believers are going to give an account on every word. I want to say in that day, Lord, you know I've given it my all. I've given it my time. I've given my discretionary time. I've given it my funds. I've given it my energy. Whether I'm doing it right or not, at least that's the longing of my heart. These four lepers have been rejected by the community and could have kept the good news to themselves. They're rejected. But these four lepers, who have now experienced the grace of God, wanted to share the good news. They did not want to take it easy and play golf all day. They did not want to keep it to themselves. I want you to think with me. Please think with me for a moment. This is not going to be a long message, so just focus with me, please. These were lepers. They would have had every excuse in the book not to share the good news. They could have said to themselves, why should we share the good news with them? These people, they hate us. Why should we share the good news with them? These folks threw us out of the city wall. Why should we share the good news with them? They have rejected us. Why should we share the good news with them? They don't deserve it. I got news for you. I did not deserve it. You did not deserve it. But God's grace gave it to you anyway. Amen. Now I'm going to come clean with you. That was not always the case in my life. Back in the 60s, when I escaped from the country of my birth with the clothes on my back, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with that part of the world. My wife would testify. That was the absolute truth. Wanted nothing to do with it. But the love of Christ compelled me. The love of Christ motivated me. 
The love of Christ induced me. The love of Christ prompted me. I remember the day when I shared with the original steering committee that we formed to start this church. And I told them when God communicated His vision for me to start a church in Atlanta 34 years ago, I couldn't understand why. I've been traveling the world. I've been preaching on campuses and in churches, and I'm preaching all over the world. How can I come and start a church in Atlanta, Georgia? Until the Lord made it very clear to me that this church is going to serve as a platform to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, for which I'm very grateful. And here we are in our 33rd year, and I look back on these four lepers, like all of us, like most Christians in America, England, Australia, and the West. They could have had some rationale as to why they don't need to share that good news. They really could, and they could have rationalized it in their minds. Oh, they could have said to themselves, And now you understand that I've been listening to people. What we need to do first is to get a course on self-esteem. After all, we need it, right? We we need it. If anybody needs a course on self-esteem, we do. What we need to do first is to go through a program of how to handle rejection. (laughs) We're going to be rejected, so we need to go through a course on handling rejection, because we're going to face it. What we need to do first is to go to a seminar. That word drives me nuts. (laughs) On how to handle difficult relationships, because we're going to face it. Oh, what we need to do first is to get a class on how to eat Syrian food without putting on weight. Listen, I struggle with my weight like everybody else, but I don't obsess about it. And then we can go and tell the good news. What we need is a course to learn how to articulate and how to communicate the message. So we do it effectively. (laughs) Oh, like so many denominations... If you read some of the stuff that come out of annual meetings of denominations, you want to go in a little corner and weep. Just weep. Let's form a committee. And then another committee on top of that committee. And let's have some subcommittees. And then we have a committee on committees. Those of you who have been in these denominations understand what I'm talking about. No, my beloved friends. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. We are not doing right. Let's go and tell the good news. Listen, I get all sorts of 
good causes in the mail. I don't know if send them to me. I'm, I'm not, not as a rich man. They should go into rich people. But I still get them in the mail, piled up. Rich cause, good causes. I'm amazed of what an excuse people have for forming a charitable organization, a nonprofit corporation. I'm amazed. Very little of them has to do with the true proclamation of the unvarnished gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, sharing the good news of the gospel with others is the dearest and the nearest to the heart of Jesus. After all, that's why he came from heaven. I mean, that's why he came from heaven. For God's sake, why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? To give us self-esteem? To make us feel good about ourselves? That's what I hear on television all the time. To give us respectability? Give me a break. In fact, I shared with the ministry team, you know, once a month we, we get together, the, leading the way, and the, and the church staff will get together and we'll have a chapel and and then we have a meal together once a month, and I've been, this month, this year particularly, I've been sharing every month, which I don't normally do, but this year, Richard asked me, and I, I've been sharing, and, and, and I, this month, so I shared with him the priorities of Jesus. Chapter and verse, his priority, saving the lost, saving the lost, saving the lost, saving the lost, names written in the book of life, over and over and over again, in all of the Gospels. Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, for those of you old enough to remember Paul Harvey, (laughs) the rest of the story, the rest of the story, what happened to our friend, the general of Israel army, the man who mocked Elisha and the prophet of God, who scoffed on the, the Word of God, when people heard the good news, they were beyond ecstatic They ran outside of the city walls, and it was a stampede, and he was trampled underfoot. He saw it with his eyes, just as the Word of God said, but he did not participate in it. Listen, I'm grateful to belong to a church that from day one, as I already shared with you, it helps to take the gospel to three billion people in 26 of the most spoken languages of the world. I'm grateful for that. But wouldn't it be the irony of all ironies that we taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and somebody here have never really received the gift of salvation and eternal life? Wouldn't it be the irony of all ironies that we're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth? Somebody may be watching Somebody at the sound of my voice. So I've never committed my life to Christ. I've never confessed my sins and received His forgiveness that He paid the, my wages and the wages of my sin on the cross of Christ. Whatever you are, you can simply pray, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. I receive you as my only Savior. Oh, but for the believers, the vast majority of you, listen, I'm about to finish. 
So many of you have been sitting in the seats of salvation for decades. I want you to pray, Lord, help me. Help me to tell the good news to everyone who listened. You know, it's, it's, it's some humorous, and, and I don't tell humorous story at the end of the message, but this was funny because last Friday, my wife and I, we, we have a neighbor I've been witnessing to. I've been witnessing to all my neighbors. Man, they see me, and they start running away, and they, they, they get tired of me. And, and, and this particular neighbor is a wonderful scientist, and I've been sharing Christ with him for 12 years. And, and um, a few weeks ago, he came to me. He said, I care about you deeply, and I want you to know that I became a vegan. And uh, it's really good for me. It's really and, uh, and, and I said, oh, you need to become a vegan. I said, okay. So I've been vegan for two weeks. <laughs> Friday, my wife would come down. He was there. I said, now, you care for my physical need. And you got me to become a vegan. And I did. Now, let me tell you. He said, I know what's coming. <laughs> I said, I care for your eternity. Because eternity... Is a long, long, long time. It's not 50, 100 years. No, it's forever and ever. Beloved, think about this with me before you leave as we get to pray. Say, Lord Jesus, help me. Use me to share the good news. Help those who share the good news. Help me to be part of sharing the good news anywhere, anytime you lead me. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, even the Old Testament says that you desire obedience more than sacrifice, and yet because we know obedience requires sacrificing all. And I pray for me and for all my beloved friends who are here right now, we together seek to be obedient to your great commission, that we would leave no stone unturned in sharing the good news. Father, I thank you that this is a prayer you promised to answer. May you answer us from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up and bless the Lord in a song?